everybody, and welcome to Coach's Corner. I have another amazing guest here today who's very, very passionate about what she's passionate about, and I love what she's passionate about, which is empowering all people, especially women, when it comes to money. We cover a lot of things in this show, and we definitely didn't get to everything, so I'm probably going to have Kim back. And she has an awesome opportunity that she shares at the end for any of you to come on her podcast, bring any of your financial questions or challenges to her, and she'll coach you through them. Let me tell you a little bit more about Kim. So Kimberly Davis joins me today. Her book and podcast, The Fiscal Feminist, is a financial wake-up call for women in which she shares her personal and professional expertise to help women improve their financial health, money-proof their relationships, and learn how to be intentional and strategic with their finances and career. Kim has more than 25 years of finance, legal, and corporate experience. She is currently managing director and partner at a private wealth management firm and certified divorce financial analyst. But Kimberly hasn't always been so confident with money. After a long and contentious divorce that completely upended her life, Kimberly found herself in the trenches where many of her clients and listeners currently are today. She wasn't prepared financially and was afraid for her and her children's future. Her mission is to ensure that no other woman has to feel afraid like she did. While many women feel overwhelmed today in a post-pandemic world, juggling careers, motherhood, and a looming recession, Kimberly believes every woman can improve her financial health, no matter her age, economic, or marital status. And I want to thank my sponsor for this episode, which is Organifi. You always get 20% off all of your Organifi products when you go to Organifi.com slash over it and use over it as the promo code. Today, I want to talk to you about their green product. So eating healthy and getting your nutrition shouldn't be a pain in the butt, time consuming and expensive. And organic veggies can get pretty expensive and not always that convenient to shop for, depending on where you live and what season it is, so on and so forth. So you can subscribe to Organifi and get their green powder delivered. And it costs only $1.98 per day to get like basically vegetables in a powder. And you can really, really trust Organifi's product. I love them. I love the way that they make things. I love their ethos and I love the way their products taste. Their green has a clinical dose of ashwagandha made with clinically studied KSM 66 ashwagandha to help reduce stress, promote relaxation, improve quality of life, support a healthy immune system, promote memory and concentration, control stress-related things, food cravings, support quality of sleep, support physical performance and endurance, and support sexual health. Hey, pretty good for $1.95 a day. <laughs> and if you don't want to subscribe, you can just go to Organifi.com slash over it and get 20% off any of your orders using the promo code over it. And now onto my conversation with Kimberly Davis. Kim, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being here. Well, Christine, thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited to dive in with you today. Yeah, I like I like talking about a lot of the subjects we're going to talk about. I really love talking about money, but tying it into how our psychology impacts it and how it is a relationship with money. And it's not just about tactics. It's really about having a different mindset and understanding what some of the blocks are, both internally and externally in the world. And I know we're going to dive into a lot of that. But before we get too deep, one thing that we were talking about before we started recording was your book, The Fiscal Feminist. And I said, oh, I'm so great. That's so great to talk to a woman who really empowers women with money. But you, then you said, well, really, I help men and women, but I really want to focus a little more on women for a few reasons. Can you go into that again? Yeah. So I think the information that I put out there and, you know, I did write the book, The Fiscal Feminist, A Financial Wake-Up Call for Women, but all the information in the book would be equally applicable to men. And same thing, I have a podcast and all the topics that I address or interviews that I have with people would be useful to men as well. And I know I have a lot of men, you know, listeners and followers, but the reason that I wanted to put a lens on women and focus on women is because, you know, I think they are underserved. I think the historical narrative for women has had a lot more obstacles, not through anybody's fault, right? If you go back into the 1800s and 1600s, women didn't have any property rights. Women did not have any rights. They didn't have a vote. And the narrative for women has kind of been born from that, right? That's how this all, you know, how our rights mm -hmm. evolved. 
So even in 1976, and you know, that's when I graduated from high school, so you guys can do the numbers. I'm a little long in the tooth, but you know, in 1976, a woman could not get a credit card without a male signature. And, you know, even when I was at um, Morgan Stanley, I met a lady who joined there in the seventies as a financial advisor. And she, you know, is a highly educated woman and she needed to get a permission letter from her husband in 1977 that he was okay with her being a financial advisor, you know, at Morgan Stanley. So in a situation, no, it's really not that long long ago. ago. And in, in situations like that, you know, you have to remember that we've had a couple of things that we've had to deal with historically. And then just on a practical level, I mean, and I'm just going to kind of, we can go through them in depth, but I'm just going to kind of click off a number of things. You know, we still have the gender pay gap, right? Where women are making 82 cents on the dollar. And that is um, white women, Hispanic women and black women are making even less. There's still a lack of pay transparency, which makes it very difficult for us to advocate for, you know, and negotiate for equal salary. So there's still a lot of lowballing going on. There is still occupational gender segregation where certain careers are still kind of very female oriented. Obviously, caregiving responsibilities for women can cause them to have career interruptions and also just the whole juggling act. Even when women are the primary breadwinners, they still do the preponderance of caregiving responsibilities and 75% of all caregiving is done by women. You know, there's the motherhood penalty. When women step out of the workforce, either full or part-time, there are all these financial ripple effects that they face. They stop contributing to social security. They reduce their 401k contributions. They have disruption of career development. And then in addition to that, for every child a woman has, her earning power drops 4% compared to men whose earning power drop goes up 6% because we still mm. believe men are the primary providers for financial providers for their families. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then also, you know, I think within women's kind of way of doing things, we don't negotiate as much as men and we don't advocate as much as we should for ourselves. That is a work in progress that we need to get better at. But we have often been told, you know, we have to be good and be accommodating and be nurturing. And that doesn't, you know, jive well with advocating for yourself sometimes. So we need to kind of deconstruct the historical narrative of what a woman's personality should be like. Um, And I also think, you know, we don't also do micro advocacy for ourselves in our homes as far as sharing responsibilities. And also when we do start to get engaged, you know, engage in relationships with people, we aren't very intentional about commingling our money and really planning for the future in a partnership. All of those things go to, I think, disrupt women's progress in the financial realm and people Mm -hmm. haven't really talked about it. So that's why in, you know, when I wrote the book, I didn't want it just to be about personal finance. And it's, it's so much bigger than that because it's about the psychology of money. Like what is our money personality? How do we talk about money? How do we, how does money control us? Are we controlling it or is it controlling us? But it's just a lot bigger than a paycheck and whether or not you budget. Yeah. Cause if you think about the impacts on a woman's financial life, her financial life is going to play into everything because it, it takes money to take care of yourself. It takes money to have help with your family. It it takes money to go and do something that you love. You know, we live in a world where it does take money. And also I didn't mention that women live statistically five years longer than men. So women are living longer lives. And that means in their long, hopefully, you know, they have a good life, but as they grow older, often they may be on their own, whether because of death of a spouse or they never got married or they had what I had, the dreaded gray divorce, which can be incredibly disruptive in the you know last part of your life, which could cause you to live in retirement in a much more reduced fashion than you're used to. So these are all new things. And then also another thing that I've had to deal with, which I think again, often falls on the woman's, women's shoulders is I have elderly parents in their 90s. We never really talked about long-term care when I was 40 and they were 60. And in addition to all my other responsibilities, I happily help them, but they need, you know, the care that they need at this point is extremely expensive. So there are all these new things that women are having to deal with. 
And as they went into the workforce, you know, in the 70s and the 80s, when I was, you know, kind of following the women's movement at that point, could you were told you could have it all. All these issues, you know, were kind of not known because it was all new, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah. here, here we are. Here and, we are. And, you know, women are amazing and they do amazing things and we have made some progress. But actually, you know, I've thought over the years that, again, I know there are multiple waves of feminism and I don't, you know, I don't even know how one would define that. But, you know, when I was in high school and coming to college and then going to law school in the 70s and early 80s, you know, it was, you know, women were getting into the workforce and everyone was, you know, saying you could could do it all. But I think then somehow we kind of, the, the whole message has gotten a little bit muted, you know, just muddled. I don't know. I don't think we talk about it as much. And I frankly find uh, that women's rights are kind of going a little bit backwards. And that's just my view of it, which is why I'm out there banging the drum. I'm very mm. disappointed that childcare subsidies have expired. I mm-hmm. think that goes so against the progression of women in the workforce And unless women understand that we have to get in there and be proactive, you know, these issues are real-time issues that affect our daily lives. Yeah. And maternity leave is basically a sneeze. It's so short. It's so short. It's ridiculous. I don't know anyone who's ready to go back to work full-time, you know, six weeks or three months after they have a child. Oh my gosh. There's so much. And remote work, you know, like people, you know, I know even in my world, you know, everyone's saying, you know, remote work, everyone should go, you know, in the financial industry, everyone should go back to work, be in the office. Well, that's okay for me. I mean, I'm I'm a, you know, lady whose kids are in her thirties now, Right. you know, but if I had three little kids at home, like I used to, and I was trying to do my wealth management business, I would need a few days to work remotely just to get my act together and have, you know, not be going crazy. And the fact that remote work is equated with being irresponsible, I think is just a, so wrong and B doesn't acknowledge that women in the workforce or caregivers, if it's a a guy, you know, Mm -hmm. if it's a dad who does most of the caregiving, we, those people need to have some remote workspace. And the fact that, you know, on the one hand, people say, well, why is, you know, the childbirth rate going down? Why are we not seeing as much, you know, so many more people aren't having babies anymore? You know, well, because women are getting smarter that if that they go down that path and they're not prepared, there are a lot of things that could happen. And as they become more and more independent, they can make more informed choices. It's as simple as that. So if we don't do things to accommodate that and make trying, you know, having a baby and having a career, you know, not this insanity of like never being able to sleep or take a shower because you're just running around like a chicken with your head cut off, then that doesn't do anything. That doesn't help women progress. And it certainly doesn't help families progress, you know? And I think it's a, it's a, it's a huge conversation. I think it's about more than just childcare subsidies, longer maternity leave. I think it's looking at how we live. We live in these nuclear silos. We don't really have community. There's just a lot of things that have gone backwards (laughs) as much as technology has gone forward. We've gone backwards. There's so much I want to pick apart that you have said so far. So with the pay gap, First, we have the the gender issue, and then we have the race issue. How is this still happening? How is this even legal that somebody is paid the, the same, like a different amount for the same job? Well, you know, it according to something I read recently, and I just was talking about this on another podcast, it will take 135 years for women to close the pay gap. So from now. In the, uh, from now. So in the interest of it not taking 135 years, I just did a podcast that came out this week with a woman called Shifta Khalil, who um, has been following me and listening to my advice for four years. And I've, you know, watched her progress, not only in her financial realm, but also in her career realm, because we've talked, I've counseled her on both. And one of the things that she talked about that I think was really, you know, powerful is that she has been super proactive in her career. And as women, we kind of have to do that because salary transparency does not exist. You can mm-hmm. go on Glassdoor and there are a few states that do have salary transparency laws, but there, I think it's only like seven states. The Senate will not pass it because it, you know, the, the Republican Senate will not pass that law. So that leaves us with this. 
if we want a job, so in Shifta's uh, case, she had a job and she works at an educational uh, university, a university here in California. Um, she had a job and she saw another job posted that was kind of more than she thought she was qualified to do. But after talking to some other people in the organization, women mainly, they encouraged her because they thought she was qualified. Maybe, you know, it would be a stretch, but she would still have the basic qualifications. She actually got the job, but they lowballed her at the beginning and wanted to pay her a lot less than she knew, you know, was the going rate. And so she went back and negotiated mm -hmm. and had all of her facts and figures. And in fact, she ended up getting a 35% pay increase from her other job and way wow. more than they originally wanted to give her. So it's kind of up to us. One of the things like I will say to people, young, younger people going into the workforce and people already in the workforce, women, you know, you've got to advocate for yourself. And it, it doesn't mean it has to be heavy handed. It can, it should be based on, you know, information that is just factual. This, and I had another um, podcast with the woman, uh, Linda Garcia, and she had worked at Netflix and when they hired her, I think they offered her like 75,000. She knew that um, the going rate for that job was a hundred. She went and interviewed for other similar jobs and got offered a hundred thousand, went back to Netflix and said, you know, I got the same job making a hundred thousand. And they mm. were like, okay, we'll pay you a hundred thousand. So the fact that we even have to go through all that, and they just don't do it from the yeah. beginning is okay. Shocking, but you know, be intentional in your career choices. Look at the company's policies. Do they have you know, good uh, pregnancy policies, maternity leave? Do they have women in positions of power who can mentor you? And you need to do your homework and then you need to advocate for yourself and you need to really be proactive because we don't have the legal infrastructure to protect us. So in that regard, we at the moment have to do it ourselves. So mm -hmm. that's something I tell everybody because I think it's really important. And the lack of pay transparency is just a real problem. Um, you know, when there's only six states that have enacted transparency laws, that means most of the states don't have it. So you're kind of negotiating in the dark and you just have to go on Glassdoor or look at other sources to see what the going rate is for what you're doing and use mm -hmm. that. And I think that that does work. Yeah. For women that I have two questions, one about advocacy and one about mentorship. First advocacy. We talked a little bit about just the cultural expectations of being a woman, the, the programming that we get from a very young age about how we're supposed to be in the world. I know that's one of the reasons that advocating for ourselves is so hard, but can you, can you dig a little deeper as to why women often settle, whether it be relationship or finances? Oh, um, this is a, that's a whole podcast in itself, but, um, <laughs> but let me just say this. Um, I'm always amazed, you know, how accommodating women can be. And I know mm -hmm. that's part of our nature. Uh, sometimes, uh, we are kind of, this is ingrained in us that, you know, we shouldn't be, you know, because then if you are too, uh, if you advocate too much or you complain too much, then, you know, you're aggressive. They use the B word, whatever it is, you know, you are labeled, you're not, a stud or, you know, oh, wow, what a dude, you know, he's, you know, he's a powerful man. It, somehow it all gets misrepresented and twisted mm -hmm. on its head, you know? So there's that. Um, but more importantly, I think that we haven't been taught to advocate not only on a macro level for our jobs, but on a micro level in within our lives. So if you're a woman married to somebody and you do 75% of the caregiving, you need to sit down with your partner and, and advocate for yourself within your microcosmic family. Mm -hmm. You're, and that doesn't mean you need to be rude or judgmental. You just need to be, you know, open and say, this isn't fair. You know, we're both working or we're, you know, yeah. whatever the situation is, and we need to share the responsibilities. And there was a whole Netflix documentary on this, and I can't remember the name of it that I watched a couple of years ago. In fact, I knew one of the couples that were, that were in it and uh, that was in it. And, um, but, you know, if we don't initiate that discussion, then that discussion is not going to happen, right? Because right. it's just going to be business as usual. The other thing is, is I think women are very reluctant when they do get into relationships, that personal relationships, especially romantic ones, to talk about finances. And to me, this is the most dangerous 
biggest error that a woman can make because when you, you know, either cohabit with somebody or you marry them, you are becoming a partnership and it's just not, you know, romantic partnerships. This is Mm -hmm. a business partnership. You are commingling your money and hopefully not totally commingling your money. So I talk a lot about prenuptial agreements and how everyone should have one. And I know over 30% of millennials do have them now because of student debt and that needs to be addressed. But I think women need to be on the forefront of initiating uh, discussions about money with their partners, whoever they may be, whatever that partnership looks like. Um, Because if we don't do that, then you end up in situations like myself, which is shocking because I was a corporate securities lawyer and worked on Wall Street, where you're so busy taking care of your family, you don't really even know what your husband makes. You don't look at your tax returns when you sign it. You don't know what all the investment profiles are. And then all of a sudden, maybe you're getting divorced 30 years later and you are going to get screwed. So this is something that women need to overcome is just opening the discussion up about money and not feeling weird or awkward about it or thinking it makes them less romantic or less beautiful or less accommodating. And then the other thing I would say um, also for, you know, for women is don't think of your partner as your plan. A partner isn't a financial plan. A partner is a partner. Um, There is no Prince Charming. There's no one to save you. You have to be your own Princess Charming. Save yourself. Advocate for yourself. Because that's how you will get respect from others. And then you also will have control over your time because your time is as as important as your money. And if you don't have any time and you aren't in control of your money and you're being controlled by somebody else through money, then guess what's going to happen? You're going to feel stress. You're going to feel sick and your mental and physical health are going to suffer. So all of these things are related, right? I mean, I I think money and and physical mental health are inextricably tied. Yeah. I mean, it's all tied. <laughs> it's all it's one, all tied one big thing, you know, it's and, all one big and, thing. And the other thing that I also found shocking when I was, uh, you know, researching my book and I was writing it is that when women make more than their, their partners, they will often lie about that and say they make less. And so mm-hmm. I want women to, you know, and I also talk about this confidence versus competency thing. Women are not as confident and sometimes they feel like they have to be perfect and have 100% competency before they can feel confident. And I just want women to realize that, you know, that is, that does not serve them well. Um, mm-hmm. You can be, you know, I always tell my three daughters, good is good enough. Um, if you don't put yourself out there, even though you feel like you're 60% only prepared for the job opening, then you're doing yourself a disservice because that's what men do. Yeah. Um so all of this stuff relates to advocacy, confidence, um, mm-hmm. changing the narrative, being proactive, and just being kind of, you know, not following the norm and saying, you know, I can't tell you how many times people say, well, you know, prenuptial agreement, you know, you know, we're planning our lives and it's going to be a real, you know, buzzkill. And it's like, well, if you guys can't talk about money and get like, yeah, how are you going to raise your children? How are you going to save for college? Do you even want children? How does that person handle debt? Does that person have debt? Do they pay their bills on time? Do they want to save for retirement? All of these things are going to affect you in your mm-hmm. life. So if you don't negotiate with them, I mean, then where does that leave you? You know, yeah. 10 years down the road, you you may be behind the eight ball feeling resentful and, you know, just kind of not yeah, happy in your time. situation because yeah. you haven't really talked about anything. Yeah. Um, I want to yeah. bookmark the mentorship question because I want to go back to this whole having it all thing because in so many ways, it's been great. I'm going to quote a comedian and I'm going to try to find her name and I'll put it in the show notes because I hate um, quoting people and not giving them credit, but it's just been uh, floating through Instagram. And she was talking about how she's choosing not to have children because she really wants a career. Right. And people say to her, oh, Michelle, I know her first name is Michelle. I don't know her last name. I'm going to find it. Michelle, you can have it all. And what she said was, have you ever gone to an all-you-can-eat buffet and felt really good about yourself afterwards? And I just (laughs) thought that was so great because like you said, women still carry 75% of the household load. So it's like you work, you have children. I'm going through this now. You work, you have children. And then 
And I know for me and a lot of women I talked to, and I talked about this in a previous episode um, with a therapist, Ellen Bader, about mom guilt, then you have the conflict. And I don't yeah. know too many men that have that conflict. <laughs> No, they don't have any, I'm sorry. Uh, and look, guys, I love y'all. And I, you know, I was married for 23 years and then I got married again. So, and I work with all men. So I don't, I love men sort of, but you know, <laughs> not a man hater, but let me just say this. So let me give you a little historical perspective on this. In 1983, when I became a lawyer, I worked on wall street and then somewhere around, I don't know, 1985 or something, there was a commercial out there called, uh, for Anjali perfume. And I'm sure that, you know, the younger people listening to this are saying, what, the, you know, what the heck is that? So it was this perfume and there was this woman, remember this is the 80s, people were starting to go to work and wear, you know, blazers with big shoulder pads in them and all that stuff. Working Girl was the movie of the, of the decade. Um, yeah. And Moonlight and, and Simple Shepherd, where she wore her yeah, outfits. Was a, yeah. yeah. And so anyway, there was this commercial and the woman would start the commercial in a suit and, and it would say, you could bring home the bacon, fry it up in a pan, and I'll never let you forget you're a man because I'm a woman. So she goes from being in a suit to coming home, making the dinner. And by the end oh, of the geez. commercial in this one minute, she's in a negligee. So that was the paradigm, right? Okay, ladies, wow. now so you're in the workforce. Yeah, it was like it was on TV for a long time. And that was what we were buying into, right? Like, I'm going to get up and put on my power suit and I'm going to go to work and I'm going to come home, deal with the kids and I'm going to make dinner and then I'm going to put on my negligee and I'm going to be like this, you know, amazing, like, you know, sex kitten. And that's going to be my day and I'm going to be fantastic. Well, that's not possible. It's going to lead many women to have a nervous breakdown. And that was how this whole thing kind of evolved from that mm -hmm. notion. And one of the things I really want to talk about more is women choosing not to have children and not to get married, because I think that is uh, perfectly acceptable. And I applaud that. Yeah. And it, you know, I think society always wants women to have children and honestly, not all women want or should have children. And I agree, like you can't, it's very hard to have it all unless you have the ability to have people help you, whether you pay, you know, through paying them, or you are talking to the other person involved in this thing that you're doing and saying, we have got to share this load yeah. because otherwise it all often falls on the women and they're tired and they're stressed and they don't want to give up their career aspirations. And I did that and I made a huge mistake. And I talked to my daughter about this. She's 32 uh, 30, she just turned 33 actually on October 1st. And she just got married last year. She's about, she's a corporate lawyer, litigator at a big law firm in New York city. She's about to start, you know, she wants to have a child. Right. And we've had this conversation because I was a stay at home mom for a while. Um, I moved from New York city, uh, to London with my first husband, uh, for his career. It was supposed to be for two years and he is still living there 30 some years later. I ended up moving back here after 14 years to the United States and the marriage ended after 23 years. But the hit that that took on my career was massive. But forgetting about that, my own psychological self-realization was destroyed and my self-esteem was not great. I mean, I, I'm like a phoenix from the flame. I, I flames. I re recreated myself in my 50s, but that was all very psychologically damaging to me. But I mm. say to my daughter, look, you know, We'll figure this out, but you know, I don't, don't feel guilt. You, you should, you know, you'll be able to be a good mom. You would have ended up being just as great a kid as you are now, even if I worked. Okay. This notion that, you know, that, that, that those things are mutually exclusive is nonsense. So, you know, I, I applaud this lady, the comedian, Michelle, because you, you have to look into your soul, you know, and say, what am I capable of? What, what do I really want to do? And I love my children and it was, you know, my kids are so important to me and they're one of my greatest accomplishments, but, um, I do encourage them all not to be so quick to just leave the workforce. And also my yeah. daughter has a prenuptial agreement, whether it's her husband or herself who leave full or part-time, um, if either of them choose to do it, we have a formula in their prenuptial agreement that would compensate them for their time out of the workforce and their lack of career growth, their lack of social security contribution, their lack of 401k contribution. So yeah. you can put formulas like that in your prenup, but yeah, you, I mean, honestly, yeah. you know, you're in it right now. Is it, yep. can anyone have it all? 
in anything? No, and you don't know until you're in it. I didn't think it'd be as hard as it is, quite honestly. And and my audience, my audience knows this, but you don't. I didn't have, I I didn't choose to have a child until my 40s. And I put it off for many reasons, one of them being my career, two, because I didn't know if if worrying about something the rest of my life, because I tend to worry, was something that I, you know, I really had to think about it. I really had to search my soul. And I love my career very, very much. And I knew that I'd probably feel conflicted. And even I do have help. I'm blessed to have help, but I have to manage my help. So even though there's help, it's still on me to yeah. I mean, even with help, help. You, you, yeah, you have to yes. watch, make sure the help's doing it the way you want. Make sure exactly. they show up. Blah, blah, exactly. Blah. And I've seen and my, them. and pay them. And I've seen, I, I'm working on another deal right now. And I had to submit my P&Ls for the past four years. And they were like, what happened? in end of 2021, 2022, it's like, I was pregnant, very pregnant and had a baby. And they're like, but 2023 hasn't picked back up yet. And I'm like, she's one. She's one. Yeah, exactly. some slack. <laughs> and luckily I had the padding, but I, I see it impacting. And, you know, so my question to you, one of my questions to you is for women that are clear, they want to have children. I mean, I tend to say to women, like, wait, you know, live, build your career, get yourself to a place. But there's all this scare about fertility. And I'm one of the voices out there saying chronological age is a number, your biological age is what matters. So really invest in your health and your well-being and all that. That's another podcast. I 100% agree with you. Yeah. I'm, not, yeah. I'm like, I'm fully on board with you on this. Yeah. You yeah. got to go I'm, live your life because you. the thing is, look, when you have children, they're forever, un- unless, you know, you're decide not to talk to your kids. And it doesn't like my kids are in their twenties and thirties and, you know, some of them are rolling along, but you know, a couple of times we have some blips. I still need to be on call Mom. to help my kids. Mm-hmm. And, and, and just because someone turns 21 and graduates from college doesn't mean that, you know, you're free and clear. you know, if someone, if nope. one of your children has anxiety or they have some other issues, which, you know, we've, we've had the panoply of them all. You can't walk away. And it's a time worry money. This is all happening when you're trying to have your career as well. And that's not a reason not to have kids. You just have to understand this goes on forever and you cannot just abdicate. Right. And then also what, in my case, what happened, and this sounds, I know this sounds incredibly, I mean, I love my parents beyond belief and I'm an only child. So I would literally walk on fire to keep them around forever. But, you know, my parents are, need a lot of help. They're like kind of 90 year old toddlers. They're still mentally there, but they don't, can't do much for themselves. So it's like, I've come full circle with this, you know? Um, And, and so I guess what I'm saying to you is that I agree with you. Like, I think women, and I say this to my own children and, you know, I've said to my daughter who's now 33 and also to my daughter who's 30 don't rush into having a kid. You you will be able to have a child. There's all kinds of ways and means now, but you don't want to have regrets, you know, because yep. it's a long life. And I was lucky in my fifties to be able to recreate myself, but I also was a corporate lawyer and a securities. You know, I worked on wall street. I was an investment banker. I had my own company in London. I had a resume that kind of helped me, but it wasn't that easy in yeah. my fifties. So you don't want to have to start all over again when you're old. It's, you know, it's not that much fun. You can do it. It's, it can be done. And for anyone yeah. listening who wants to start over again, go for it. Cause yeah. it's never too late. Honestly, never too late. I'm, I'm just getting going and I'm 64. <laughs> so I would say to people, I guess maybe to your point, be intentional. Don't just like let be pressured by society or yeah. by fear that you should have children. Like one of my, my lawyer who I work very close with, um, she froze her eggs and she has had her three children in her forties. Mm-hmm. Well, what's so funny is I did freeze my eggs and then ended up not needing them. Just got pregnant naturally, go. but it was a great insurance policy. Um, so I want to, for women who want to have children or maybe have young children, but let's talk first to the women that want to have children financially, what should they be looking at setting up for themselves before they go into that huge life transition? Well, I would say try to build up as many assets as you can um, for yourself. So before people, you know, decide to get married or become in a partnership, I'm 
I always say like, you know, try to increase your separate property as much as you can so that you at least have a buffer. You know, you have some money that you have for yourself if something is to go awry later on in your relationship. And as far as like planning for the family, if you are doing it with a partner, then you need to have some really deep discussions about how you plan to raise your child and what that looks like. Do you want them to go to Ivy League schools? Do you want them to go to private schools? What is that going to cost? Because if some people have different value systems for how to raise the kids, that's going to be a problem in getting along. And also there's, you know, some people are happy to send their kids, you know, say start in community college, go to state school. Other people are just like, I want to put my kids in the best private kindergarten. that's $40,000 a year when they're, you know, four. So you need to have a, you know, if you're going to do it with a partner, if you're doing it by yourself, then I think you need to sit down and kind of project out. I know this sounds boring, but a budget because, you know, you, you if you're doing it by yourself, you're going to need some childcare and that's going to cost. You're going to have to understand, you know, what you can bring in with the added responsibility of a child. What's, how's that going to affect your work? And then the whole educational aspect of right. educating children, you know, will you be able to put money in a 529? Are you going to have help from your mom and your dad or your sister or your brother or family members? Right. How, because you need to put almost, it's like anything that you want to do. If you want to have a wedding, you should have a wedding budget. If you want to have a kid, you need to project down the road. Okay. Having the child's going to cost money, right? A lot of people, insurance doesn't cover the whole thing. So there's, you know, starting with the actual delivery, mm -hmm. you know, you really need to budget, you know, now you're going to have an extra person that needs uh, in health insurance. And so all of these things are going to come into it. It sounds, I don't mean it to sound like a uh, too machine-like, but again, we can't delude ourselves. When you have a child, it increased costs by a lot. And yes. you need to understand, you know, there's the clothing, the childcare, the doctor's appointments, you know, there's just, uh, you know, all the equipment that goes mm -hmm. for kids, the strollers, the toys, the, mm -hmm. I don't know, it's endless. It's, it, um, it is endless. We, we put a budget together and we under budgeted and you also don't know what kind of kids you're going to have. You don't yeah. know if you have a kid, the kid that sleeps, you don't know if you're going to have a kid who has certain issues that you, you know, need different medical help with. You don't, you just, yeah. you don't know how you're going to be postpartum and what you're going to need and what's going to happen. So I just think, not to dilute the amazing experience that motherhood is. I'm just all for having honest conversations. And I think too often women don't have really honest conversations about this is the life transition you're about to take. Don't be in such a hurry. But, <laughs> but I think women it. have been shamed into not doing that. Like, you know, yes. I think our, look, I don't want to get all political here, but you know, I'm just saying women, I believe women should have control over whether or not they have a kid. Um, because that's such a big thing that if you yes. bring a child into this world that you don't want, forgetting about the fact that it will probably financially ruin you because you probably aren't prepared. Um, it is psychologically not good for you or the child. No, and an unwanted so, child is, is, I mean, I'm, <laughs> I, I coach mean, people. Just, I know what yeah, the it's effect of unwanted it, is. And yeah, so then yeah. we have this, this, this ideal, you know, and again, this is all historical and it's so deeply ingrained in us from, you know, the years and years and years of everyone just thinking of women as people who produce children and take care of the house and are kind of, you know, that's what they do. That's what we were doing for many, many years. That's what our, our purpose in life was to procreate and to run the house. And so now, you know, I think even in this day and age, people look askance at women who don't want to have kids. Like there's something wrong with them. You know, like every, I think the, the norm of how people think about women is that all women are maternal. Well, right. yeah, I don't think that's right. Um, and not all women are maternal and it doesn't mean that they're not a good woman. It just means that they know who they are. And I wish that society would embrace the idea that every woman is different, just like every man is different and that not all women are going to want to have babies and nor should they, and they shouldn't be shamed about that. And they should be able to embrace it and live their badass life and not have to make excuses yep. to people about why. Yep. 
I agree. And then you have the working mothers that feel like they need to make excuses for why they're not home. And the mothers that are home feel like they have to make excuses for why they're not working. <laughs> it's just, it's just like, I, you, like, you're right. We may have 136 years to solve the pay gap issue. I don't know how long it's going to take for women to just accept their, who they are and whatever they want for their unique situation. You know, but I do think that motherhood is a very solo, unsupported journey. Yeah. And I said to my daughter, Allison, I said, Hey, look, I know in your mind, it was idealized, you know, that I was home for, I was probably home for like 10 years. Um, and you know, I said, look, sitting, I love the time I spent with you, but you know, it's kind of, it was such an under, and please don't judge me for this. And here I'm already saying, don't judge, you know, it kind of was an under mm-hmm. usage of my talents, right? Mm-hmm. Playing b- blocks every day on the floor with my kids. It was great. And they loved it. Mm-hmm. And it was all great, but you know what? It was not the best use of, I should have been doing more. I, I, sh- I yeah. would have preferred to be at work, but then I ended up in England where I couldn't do what I was meant to do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that was a bad decision on my part, but that's a whole other podcast. But, you know, I just wish that women would talk more about this openly and would push mm-hmm. back against people who are constantly trying to make us live this life of, you know, being perfect women who want to have six kids. And, you know, that's like when you look at women who are running for politics, right. Or in politics, or you look at people who are put on the Supreme court, you know, it's always celebrated. Oh, well, they have six kids. They have five kids and they're doing this and they're doing that. Okay. That's great that they're moms. I appreciate Mm -hmm. that. But that, you know, that, doesn't mean they're better than someone who doesn't have chooses not to, yeah, or can't, or whatever the reason is. Yeah, yeah, I, I think and so. That's, that's and I don't know why we don't talk about this more. I don't know if people think it's politically incorrect, or if people are going to look at them and say, "Oh, you know, she's kind of a you know out there." But like, look, I'm going to keep talking about it, and I don't care what anyone says about me because I'm too old to care. But you know, I, I really, this is my passion. Mm-hmm. I really feel that women have just have a lot of obstacles. And I know I've heard now podcasts saying, you know, they don't want to hear about diversity anymore. They don't think that these diversity programs help. Women are, you know, 50% of the workforce, everything is great. You know, men are now getting discriminated against. And it's just like, I just think that is not true. And if we don't keep talking about this, we are going to start going backwards very quickly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I think we've already gone backwards quite a bit in the way the world is right now. And I just, I want to say that I I would love, well, I want to, I'm creating it on this show to create a safe space for people, in this case, women, to say whatever is true for them. You are someone that has a passion for doing something other than mothering, in addition to mothering, not other than, in addition to mothering. And in those 10 years where that was your whole role, there was a part of you that kind of died inside where somebody else may be like, you know what? I'm so fulfilled by staying home with my kids. I don't, I, I don't want to feel like I have to go out and work and both are okay. Both are yeah. okay. And, and, you, and you can do both. I mean, you know, as long as you plan it and make sure yeah. that you, you know, take the steps. Like I didn't have a prenup and that was really bad for me because my ex-husband totally screwed me over by all kinds of shenanigans. That's again, another podcast. But one of the greatest things that I find is when my girls say to me, mommy, you're such a great role model. You know, we are so lucky that we can look to you because you've been through the ringer and you, you know, you've made a lot of over the years now, what you've done, we're so proud of you. And that means that I'm influencing them to think about the decisions that they're making. My daughter sent me this link to this woman from, it was a story in the New York Times about this 104 year old woman who jumped out of a plane to see if she could still skydive. And she oh, wow. said, she was like a hundred percent mommy. I know that's what you're going to do when you're, when you're 104. And I'm like, oh. okay, I hope I'll be 104. But you know, let's turn this on its head. If we are moms, by showing our children that we want to do things for ourselves, we want to be productive, we want to contribute to this world, as well as be moms, that's being a good role model, not only for our daughters, but for our sons. Because then our sons will see that having a mom who's engaged and working and, you know, being independent is a good type of person to want to be with. It's also good to be a stay-at-home mom if that's what you really want and that's your passion. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. 
But just make sure that if you do stay at home, you are a stakeholder, an equal stakeholder in your financial relationship with your partner. Just because you stay at home and you don't make any money, it doesn't mean that the other person gets to control the finances. That's utter nonsense. You are doing invisible labor at home. You are making the uh, home you know, work and everybody kind of roll through their day. Your partner is getting the benefit of that because all they have to think about is going to work. So, yeah. and that's a lot easier than staying home and dealing so with much all the other stuff. It's 100%. so much easier. It's so I used much to think work. when I was breastfeeding my children um, and I'd be up like all night breastfeeding these kids. I remember I used to, because when I was a lawyer, I did a lot of IPO deals back in the 80s, 90s. And I'd pull all nighters a lot at this big law firm I worked at. And um, a lot of nights I'd be sitting there breastfeeding these kids. And I think, you know what? It was like easier being a lawyer on Wall Street and, st- mm-hmm. and pulling all nighters than than being a mom because I don't get any sleep. And then I'm like physically dealing with these kids all day that need to eat. And then, you know, one's like, you know, a baby and the other one's learning to go to the potty. And mm-hmm. oh my God, you know, when you have three of them two years apart, at one point you're just like, what the heck is going on in this house? Uh, <laughs> you know, honestly, being a lawyer seemed a lot easier to me at that yeah. point. And I got yeah. to get dressed up. Yeah. So you take a shower, shower. Yeah. <laughs> put perfume on, wash my hair, put some makeup yeah. on. It's great. Yeah. Go out to lunch, have a coffee oh. in peace. Oh my but goodness. I, I want women to stop Women, look, ladies, we need to all support each other, whatever our choices are, not do any shaming and push back against these anachronistic patriarchal values that continually just, they're just so deep in our society. And there are a lot of people out there still banging that drum because they do not want to see women get ahead for reasons I do not understand. So it's up to us. It's up to us to advocate for ourselves, to support each other to no matter what choices we make, not to judge and to mentor each other and to be there to, you know, move this ball down the field because no one's going to do it for us. Nobody. And we have a vote, we have a voice and we need to use that as well. Um, you mentioned, I'm going to come back to the mentorship. So when I was in my twenties and I was in the corporate world, it was very hard for me to find female mentors. I was in the entertainment industry, so maybe that's different. But it seemed like women had worked so hard to get where they are. They weren't really reaching down and helping younger women at the time. Have you seen that change? Yes and no. I mean, I think there are a lot more, there's a lot more talk about mentorship and women mentoring each other. And obviously there are more women in the workforce and more women who've kind of starting to climb the, you know, the ladder and and have a hand down. You know, and I is there still going to be particular situations where people, you know, want to protect their turf and don't think there's abundance and there's not enough for everybody. So they don't want, you know, another woman to steal their thunder, so to speak. But I do think when I, when I read and I look towards organizations that are popping up and things that are getting done, I do think we are talking more about female mentorship of each other. I also think it's okay. Like in the industry that I'm in, there only 25% of wealth managers or financial advisors are women. That's unbelievable to me, but that is a fact. And, you know, most of the people in this business are white men. And that is just another fact. I was mentored by a man. And I mean, you know, men can mentor women and they can be, you know, enlightened and, and help women. So, you don't have to only look for female mentors. You can find enlightened men to mentor you as well. And I think you should ask for mentorship, whether it's of a woman who's there or a man, but don't hesitate to ask for it because, you know, that is going to help you immensely in your, in your progression, in your career, and even like how you think about things. So I, I'm uh, open to men and women mentoring, but I do think that women are talking a lot more about it. There's a lot more organizations. I've been part of Chief. I've been part of Renegade Global. You know, there are a lot of organizations where women are joining together to mentor each other, you know, even Mm -hmm. if they don't work in the same place. But the other thing I want to throw in here too, because I I do want to do a podcast on this myself, is that I know that, uh, and this isn't about mentoring in the workplace, but it's mentoring younger women, uh, and girls lean in uh, with Cheryl Sandberg. They're now creating a program to help, thir- you know, talk, start aiming towards 13 year old girls to tell them, because that's when girls start participating, they kind of stop participating in class and start, you know, they're going through puberty and they're starting to think about, 
I don't know what girls are supposed to be, whatever that means in their mind. Um, and so they're saying, it's okay if you raise your hand in class, it's okay if you, you know, if you look smart, just trying to change that narrative at a younger age. And I think that's something that's really important is trying to get young girls, it, it, you know, when they're teenagers to start thinking this way and not going down that path of, you know, I have to look demure or sexy or whatever and not be smart because then all the boys in my eighth grade class aren't going to like me. That might be a little bit of a diversion yeah. on your question, but I think that's also a very important concept. No, I think so too. I think so too. I want to make sure we cover divorce too. Something else you talked about quite a bit. Obviously there's a prenup, but if someone doesn't have a prenup, are there other things that they can do to protect themselves financially? Yes. So, you know, look, there's a whole divorce strategy uh, and I'm hoping to put together, you know, kind of a course on this at some point. But the first thing is if you want to get divorced, don't just pick up and walk out the, out of the house one day. That's not a good strategy. A lot of times, I mean, I just had someone reach out to me for a consultation. She's 60 years old. She's been married 34 years. She's never, she's been completely controlled by money, has four children. and um, you know, she doesn't really know anything about their money situation. Uh, and obviously at that age, it's a scary proposition, right? And, and this is actually, I think something of her choice. She wants, she wants this to end now, but before you leave a house, one, if once you leave the house and there's issues about abandoning the house and, and all that stuff. So, so just, you shouldn't leave right away. Secondly, you should try to gather as much information as possible because once people get involved in divorce proceedings, they aren't so quick to offer up information, even if it's subpoenaed. So, you know, try to find out, get all the tax returns, all any investment statements, any bank accounts, find out what your spouse makes, try to find out what their 401k they're contributing. I don't know if they, if you have paper files or if you can get online and figure this out, you can find out a lot through tax returns and through looking at people's credit reports as well. But you need to gather as much financial information as possible so that you have the facts to hand. Because if you're trying to get that once you get into it, it's sometimes really difficult, especially when there are family businesses involved, because the person who has the business will all of a sudden claim they're not making any money, even though the business has been successful forever. So that's the first thing you have to do. And then the second thing is you have to assemble a team, find a good lawyer, I always recommend if you can to have a therapist because you're going to be going mm -hmm. through a horrible time and trying to keep your head on straight. I mean, to me, it was one of the worst things I've ever gone through, trying to keep your head on straight through the stress and tension, loss of a marriage, the mourning of a mm -hmm. family. If you've had a family, this is all very deep emotional stuff that can really, really affect your judgment and your, and your mindset. And then once you have your team, you may need a forensic accountant. Sometimes you can get a certified divorce financial analyst. I'm, I'm a CDFA and they will look at the, the real financial aspects of it. Cause sometimes lawyers aren't as financially aware as, as a CDFA might be. Um, and then you can try to figure out how do you want this divorce to look? Do you want it to be a mediated divorce? Do you want it to be a collaborative divorce? Or will it be what they call a litigated divorce where you have lawyers and a judge because, you know, maybe mediation isn't going to work. Mediation can work, but, you know, you have to make sure that everybody's being transparent. This yeah. lady who came, who reached out to me recently, they're trying to do mediation, but he's not being transparent. So, so of course, can't. the judges, they're yeah. going to have to go down the litigation route. Um so you have to understand this is a long process. You have to understand that you are going to have legal fees. So, you know, find, figure out if you've had money from before, do you have enough money to, to do, deal with the legal fees? Do you have someone who can help you with the legal fees? How are you going to live during this process? So there's a lot of things to consider. So you, you need to have a strategy and you need to be very methodical about it because every, you know, decision you make could affect your financial situation. There are two types of states. There's community property states and there's equitable distribution states. So how things get distributed are different in those two states. That's why, you know, you need to understand the credit, you know, look at your credit report and see what your credit looks like. Because if you've been commingling debt your entire marriage, the actions of your partner may have affected your credit. You may not even have any credit if you don't have any credit cards in your name. And you need to see the credit report will tell you, for example, 
Maybe this person's incurred a whole lot of debt and you didn't even know about it before the divorce if they think the divorce is coming so they don't have to give you anything because there's all this debt to pay down. Or maybe people are shifting money to children or to other people in their family so they don't have to pay you. So you have to do some like detective work to, before you get into this because if you don't and you're just a blank page, it's not good. Mm, mm. And, and, that's, okay. and, and the pre-divorce divorce strategy is don't go through your marriage or your relationship not knowing anything about not your marital yeah. finances. Yeah. That's just, yeah. you're just asking for trouble. Okay. Mm -hmm. If someone sticks a tax return in front of you to sign, look at the tax return, look yep. at the schedules, know how much the person, how much is, are we as a couple making? What are we invested in? What do we own? Do you know, the, when I was speaking to this lady the other day, all of their houses, their two houses were owned only in his name. Mm. Mm. Like, you yeah. know, again, we no. are not, we are not children and your partner isn't your plan. So throughout your marriage, and I, if you've been married 30 years and you don't know this stuff, well, you need to yeah. learn it now. Okay. Yeah. Because your spouse could die. Yeah. No, that's <laughs> one of the agreements my husband and I have is we have all each other's passwords. I have logged into his bank information. He has logged into mine. Like we do still have some separate accounts, but there's total transparency. Everything's in a trust. Like it's all very organized. Um, that's, and that's perfect. And be intentional how you commingle. Yeah. I mean, you know, once you're married 35 years and, you know, you're of a certain generation, that ship has sailed. But, you know, I always say to younger people, you know, have your separate accounts, have your paychecks paid into those. That's your separate accounts. Mm -hmm. That's your separate property, but have a joint account. And then you're intentional about what you're commingling and you put X amount yeah. of dollars in every month. And then that's what you do for buying houses and going on vacations and educating the kids and buying groceries, whatever. And I think that will help down the road. But in divorce strategy, you know, obviously talk to several lawyers, make sure you find someone you can trust and you feel comfortable with. But remember, your lawyer isn't your therapist. So right. you need you, a separate person you, for that. You really do. You really do need someone to talk to, not yeah. to make it all airy fairy. But I can tell you that, you know, um, when I went through my divorce and it was long, it was a long dragged out divorce taking place in London. So I had to keep going back to London. Um and it really, really was probably the lowest point mm. in my life. I'm glad wow. it happened. I yeah. feel, I mean, it was the best thing that could have ever happened for me. But when you're going through it, it's very feel intense. Like it. yeah. yeah, it's very intense. So I appreciate you sharing everything you know, both from your experience professionally and your experience personally. Because um, I think more, you know, everybody likes to talk about marriage, but <laughs> it's harder to talk about divorce. Another hard thing to talk about, my last question before I have I ask you where people can connect with you and listen to your podcast and get your book. Do you feel there's a do you feel we're in a recession or that there's a recession coming? And if so, how can we prepare? Yeah, I think there's probably not. I mean, uh, you know, the soft landing. I don't think there's going to be a major recession. I mean, employment is too strong and at the Bonson Group uh, you know, the, the thing that's been happening in the way the news is presented is like good news is now bad news for the market. So I don't think we are thinking there's going to be a recession because there are a lot of a mild recession, perhaps, but not like a, you know, a very deep recession. There's a lot of positive news as far as employment goes. And also, you know, there are certain indicators that are turning positive and inflation is coming down, although I do think rates are going to be up a little bit longer. Um, but obviously I would say to everybody, continue to do a budget. If you do not budget, you can never be successful. It, I don't care how much money you have. The more money you have, the more money you spend. So make sure that you know how much money is coming into your house and how much is going out. And if there's a Delta, that means you're using credit cards. Do not let your credit card spiral because you keep spending on things that you can't afford or prices have gone up whatever it is, do not do that because interest rates have also gone up on credit cards. And the overall debt in the country for credit cards is now over a trillion dollars because people have gone through all their COVID money and all the stuff, you know, all the money that was out there. So be very wary of incurring debt. Mm. Um, make sure you stick to your budget. Keep yep. your in emergency savings yep. there. You should have four to five to six months of savings because especially if there is a mild recession, things can go awry. So make sure you have some, you know, liquid cash on hand. Don't do any need, you know, continue to contribute to your retirement savings. 
Um, don't borrow from your 401k or anything like that because, you know, you're starting to get overwhelmed because maybe you've incurred too much debt. Just don't incur the debt. Pay your credit cards off every month. I, I mean, I bang on about that, but oh, me that too. is a I very, since I was 20. <laughs> it's a very <laughs> insidious yeah. thing that can bring the whole house of cards down. And I've been, so can. You know, during my divorce, I had a lot of legal fees and I had three kids mm-hmm. in high school. So I honestly, I incurred a lot of credit card debt and it took me a long, long time. And I talk about this a lot on my podcast um, to get out of it. So, you know, uh, and then also in your investment strategy, you know, when there is market volatility, don't pull your money out of a strategy. If you have a good, solid long-term strategy, don't pull money out at the bottom and then try to get in later when the market goes up. That's not very smart. If your strategy is diversified, and you're not in all gross stocks and you've got, you know, you've got a plan, stick to your plan and, and be, you know, don't let fear dictate your decisions. Uh, but on a personal level, I am a big believer in the budget. Um, I go over mine every month because things change. Yeah. And I have my wealth management business. I'm also trying to, you know, I'm launching my fiscal feminist platform. So I need to be really, you know, really careful, but I don't think it's going to be all doom and gloom, but I do think there will be continued volatility in the market. And I do think, in yeah. you know, rates are going to stay high for a while. And also, if I were someone looking to buy a house, I would not be doing it right now. I would no. wait. Yeah. Yeah. I would wait. Yep. Yep. And, and you know, um, there's a couple of ways uh, just to go back. You can um, just to check out what I'm putting out there. You can buy the book, The Fiscal Feminist, A Financial Wake-Up Call for Women. It's on Amazon and all the bookstores. You can listen to the podcast, The Fiscal Feminist, or you can go to the website, fiscalfeminist.com. It doesn't have a thought in it. It's just fiscalfeminist.com. And um, I have some resources there. You can sign up for consultations if you want, and I can do some coaching with you one-on-one. And also, if anyone wants to be on my podcast and do some real-time work on their finances or anything else they mm. want to talk about. I'm really happy that. to do that. So please just DM me on Instagram at the fiscal feminist or uh, email me at Kim at the fiscal feminist. And I'd be really happy to, to do a podcast with anybody who would like to do one with me. Oh, uh, that's great. I love that you do so, that because we learn so much from, that's why I do the live coaching. Cause we learn so much by hearing somebody else go through, you know, what they're going through. So to be able to have that coaching from you and other people learn from that is, is awesome. I love that you do that. Yeah. That to me is like the most fun. Like if I can help someone change one thing that will like start to propel them down the right path, then I feel like really good about life. Um, (laughs) So that's, you know, my goal is, you know, just trying to get people to focus. And I know most people think this is boring, but really when you, if your money controls you and you don't control your money, you are going to spiral out of control and you're going to feel stress. And I know, cause I know, cause I'm the poster child for this. And, you know, I, before I became a financial advisor too, you know, I was in that divorce and between the legal costs and the expenses of my kids and the fact that my husband had totally abdicated on all of his responsibilities, I was supporting the ship all by myself and, you know, keeping the ship afloat was hard and also caused me to incur a lot of debt along the way. So it was like a perfect storm of bad things. Um, and you know, I don't want anyone to feel the fear that I felt by having money just spiral out of control. I like literally for four years, I think I woke up every night at 3am just like I had no sleep for many years because I was just constantly worried. Yeah, I know. I, I'm I'm there right now, and I'm not. I mean, going I kept downsizing and downsizing and downsizing, and yeah. at one point, I was like, you know, we're going to be living in a, you know, in a tent soon. I mean, I got to the point when you know we were in the last stage of the last court case because we had two. Um, you know, I had to sell some of my jewelry to make ends meet. I had to wait for yeah. when I finally got my job at Morgan Stanley. I was like waiting for my paycheck to clear before I put gas in my car so I could pay my rent, and I was just like who am I? What have I, Mm. you know, how am I in this position? And that again was because I wasn't vigilant during my marriage, even with all of my great degrees and all that other crap. I still let the, the, I dropped the ball. I I just became involved with the children and my, and I just didn't want to deal with him. And, you know, in the end, it, it really did cause me a lot of problems. So ignorance is not bliss. That's my saying. Yeah. Agree. Agree. Well, thank you 
for helping us have awareness and empowerment and not ignorance. And everybody, you can go to fiscalfeminist.com. You can check out the podcast. I love the invitation to um, be on Kim's show. Maybe mention this podcaster, my name, Christine, so she knows where uh, you you heard her from. Yeah, I um, would love for any of you to reach out for that because yeah. that's my passion. So I would love that's to get awesome. on my podcast. Oh, I, I think I- Especially if you come from Christine, because if you're listening to her, you've got to be a thoughtful person because you're yeah. you're thinking about things. Yes. And they're very, very coachable. My audience is very coachable, which I love. They they take their life into their own hand, but they're also very open to receive support, which is awesome. So yeah, take him up on our offer. I so appreciate your passion, Kim. Um, we have to have you back down the down the road because there's so many questions we didn't even get to, but these these are big, these are big conversations. <laughs> I would really love big to. conversation I mean, we, and we gotta get we gotta get a coalition of women out there. I agree. You know, just you know, singing our song. We really do. And thank you for all the work that you're doing, because I think, you know, you're in the trenches right now. I'm sending you tons of positive energy. I know mm-hmm. how hard it is to have a, a, you know, a young child and now you're trying to work. And I look at some of these amazing women and I, I just think, oh God, you know, I don't know how they get it all done. And it's, it's hard. It's just hard. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it can be. It, and it's what helps is other women validating the process, you know, and just being like, I've been there. I know it. I know what it's like. And so I think, thank you for that. And I mean, if my daughter has a child, then I'll have to talk about what it's like to be a grandmother and like, how how am I budgeting to be a grandmother? (laughs) Yeah, I know. Well, one thing I've seen with my daughter and her grandmother is Honestly, the bracelets in her closet, her jewelry box, like the the cups in yeah. her cooking drawer. Out of control. That's all like she that. really needs. And a, and a lot of, and just a lot of love. She doesn't really need any stuff. Just her presence is enough. So, so thank yeah. you so much, Kim. Appreciate having you here. Thank you, Christine. It's been, it's just been so joyful and keep doing your great work. And thank you for including me in your effort. I feel privileged to have had this hour to talk to you. Thank you so My much. Pleasure. My pleasure. My pleasure. 